Children may be dismissed at junior church. Thought I was okay. Not as loud as I expected. Either way, as long as my mic's on and as long as you can hear me, children may make their way to junior church. And we're going to go to Revelation 21 in a couple minutes. We serve an awesome God. Amen. Amen. Who recognize how awesome God is? As I'm, I work ahead in my sermons and I review them the week of, the week before. I review them a number of times, and but I'm working. Um, in the future. And sometimes I start studying for a sermon that's three weeks in the future. And I think, man, I want to preach that this Sunday. But we serve an awesome God. I mean, as I looked at Psalm 33 the other night and I'm researching and praying over it, everything is just perfect for our existence. We serve an awesome God and he's worthy of all praise and worship and glory and honor. At a Wednesday evening church meeting, a very wealthy man arose to give his testimony. I'm a millionaire, he said, and I attribute it all to the rich blessings of God in my life. I can still remember the turning point in my faith like it was yesterday. I had just earned my first dollar. I went to a church meeting that night. The speaker was a missionary who told about his work. I knew that I only had a dollar bill and had either to give it all to God's work or nothing at all. So at that moment, I decided to give my whole dollar to God. I believe that God blessed that decision, and that is why I'm a rich man today. As he finished, it was clear that everyone had been moved by this man's story. But as he took his seat, a little old lady sitting in the same pew leaned over and said, Wonderful story. I dare you to do it again. Just wanted to start with something a little more humorous. The Bible does teach about storing up treasures in heaven. Matthew 6.20. So if we're storing up treasures there, what's it like? What's heaven like? And that's what this whole series has been about. Painting a picture of heaven. Making you think about heaven. I was talking with somebody last week and he told me, I said, I think everybody is... Afraid of death. And I think as a Christian, we don't need to be afraid of death. I strongly believe absent from the body is to be present with the Lord and we don't have to be afraid. And we can even know a little bit more about what heaven's like uh, through the many pictures of heaven that we see in the scriptures. The many different pictures of heaven that we see in the scriptures. But sometimes we we hold our life and we hold our possessions, our physical possessions, with a closed fist, tight-fisted. And they're so held tight. This is our focus. This is our world. Don't take it from me, Lord. And it limits our spiritual growth, and it, it really limits how peacefully, at least on the spiritual side, we go to be with God in heaven. And God is trying to open us, open our fists, open our palms so we have an open hand. We say, Lord, I am yours. Everything I have is yours. Because it is his either way. We know that, right? I mean, it is his. My daughters, they're not mine. Love them dearly. The greatest gift God's given us next to salvation each other. But they're his daughters. Mercedes and Abigail belong to him. We have a responsibility under God to raise them and take care of them, uh, their spiritual needs first and foremost, 
followed and by physical felt needs, educational needs, psychological needs. I strongly believe but most Christian parents care more about the physical felt needs of their children than their spiritual needs. I strongly believe most Christian parents care more that they graduate college, um, they graduate college, uh, uh, even if that means impurity, don't get married in college, you know, we're kind of overlook your sexual purity just as long as you graduate college. And I care that my kids go to college too, but uh, don't sacrifice these other things for it. We're responsible spiritually, and we need to focus on the Lord and hold things with an open hand saying, Lord, they're yours. I knew someone, he told me at my last church, he said, he said, I have lots of stories. It was a dark and stormy night. And he was saying, kind of saying that punny and, pun and a tongue-in-cheek way. And then he said, actually, seriously, it was. Their daughter had cystic fibrosis. Still alive today, actually, uh, in her 40s now. It was a dark and stormy night. We pulled over on the way to the hospital, and we said, Lord, she's yours. We'll trust whatever you do. If you take her to be with you, we trust you. She's yours. And only as we grow spiritually, really trusting with an open hand that we are the Lord's and everything we have are the Lord's, then we're more content and peaceful when he takes us to be with him or when he takes away certain things, saying, you don't need that right now. Many times we act like a toddler with that toy, right? We grasp it, mine, and we do not want the Lord to take it away. And when he does, it's our kicking and screaming. But it inhibits our spiritual life. But only when we focus spiritually can we be more content when the Lord takes us eternally to our eternal home in heaven. Oftentimes we think this is all there is. Now we may not say that. But the way we live... Think of the Christian focus, I shouldn't say Christian focus, the worldly focus on a bucket list. These are all the things I want to do because this is all I have. No. The Puritans in the 1600s would write and talk about holy suffering or holy dying. How about in our last years? How about all the time? But especially in our last, when we, when we think we know we're near and closer to heaven. We focus all the more on Jesus because that's what we want to give him before we go to be with him in glory. That's how we get ready to be with Jesus, by spending time with him now. I remember in high school taking a photography class and learning to develop film. Have you done that? You put the film in the, you go in the dark room and you put the film and it's liquids and stuff and you you we actually had made we made cardboard cameras it was really cool and we took these different pictures with them and then we developed film and we would watch the picture develop you'd watch the picture develop and it's really neat remember the old one-step cameras they're kind of back my kids have these like one-step style cameras you take the picture and then you watch it develop and they got them for christmas a year and a half ago and we did some family pictures with them and just looking at those families pictures makes me think it was taken in the 1970s or 80s because the clarity is not as good or anything like that but the kids love them you know but you can actually watch the picture develop just like you could do, you know, in developing film. And today, I'm hoping to do some review to develop that picture of heaven. 
It's not totally unknown. If you know Jesus now, you're going to be with him eternally. And if you're focusing on that spiritual relationship with Jesus now, you're prepared to go to be with him in heaven. Now, I have to wait till he calls you home. You have to wait till he calls you home, of course. And you have to live with him now and focus on him now. But you can be prepared that when he calls you home, you can say, all right, I'm ready, Jesus. Take me when you're ready. And you can, you can even, you can even, you know, those days before, weeks before, if you know God's calling home, you can be excited about it. I'm going to be with Jesus. I have to say, Cindy Wells was that way. Her memorial service is this coming uh, Saturday at 11 a.m. She, when she went into hospice care, I went to visit her and people were coming in her room and she said, I'm going to be with Jesus. I'm going to be in heaven. That's how the Christian can face death. It really is. We can look forward to it. We can know. So today my theme is heaven is for real. And so as you look forward to heaven, use your imagination grounded with the Bible. Use your imagination grounded with the Bible. You can do that. We can have what has been joked about in somewhat seriously sanctified imaginations. In other words, the imagination is sanctified by the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. The imagination is sanctified by the Holy Spirit within us. And you can just think. If there's a city in heaven, that means there's things to do. If there's a garden, that means you might be able to garden. If there's a vineyard, which the Bible says, that means you can do stuff with the vineyard, whatever you like to do with that. I'm not good at that, so that's not my thing. My thing is history. If there's people of history, I get to talk to them. If, you know, there's so many things that you can think about. But most of all is that we are going to be with Jesus eternally. Amen. The sufferings of this world will be no more. Hallelujah. Revelation 21, 1 through 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. Now, I think the sea right here represents destruction. Uh, For those of you that just love the ocean, I don't know that this means there is no ocean in heaven. It might mean, that wasn't one of the questions you submitted. This is a freebie. It might mean that, but I think it's representing destruction. And I saw the holy city. New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. Prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. That is awesome. The holy city, the new Jerusalem comes down to the new earth. I almost fell. Sorry, I should be careful. (laughs) Not too much. I would be down there, but I'm five foot two. Even though I'm six, I identify as somebody six foot five. I, I mean... I identify as somebody six foot five, but I know the reality is I'm not. So anyway, (laughs) I want to move more. So (laughs) that's pretty cool. God is going to dwell with us, like literal, physically with us. We will be with him. We will be his people. Look at this next one. Um, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Death has gone on. This is the end. This is Revelation 21. In Revelation 21 and 22 are the opposite of Genesis chapters 21 and 20, uh, Genesis chapters 1 and 2. It reverts. It reverts. Revelation 21 and 22, actually you could say Revelation chapter 20, 21 and 22 are the opposite of Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3. Death came in Genesis 3. Death is abolished in these last three chapters of the Bible. Death is no more. Every time we experience death, we are reminded of the fall. We are reminded that something is not right. Every time we experience the absence of a loved one, we are reminded that something is not right. We are yearning for heaven. We are yearning for heaven. Whether we realize it or not, we are yearning from heaven for heaven. Whether we realize it or not, we are yearning for heaven. 
Whether we realize it or not, everyone who lives, everyone who has ever lived, everyone who ever will live, I don't care if they're the foremost, most popular atheist out there, they are yearning for heaven because they deal with the sufferings of this world. And when they cry, when they have the tears, they realize this is not right. In hardness of heart, which Romans 1 talks about, they may not say it's God placing that on them, but it is God and his common grace and his natural law showing something is not right. They are yearning for heaven and we are yearning for heaven too. And I wanna encourage you, open your eyes, read the scriptures and let it go. Think about heaven. That's what we're created for. God is, gonna, God is gonna renew all things. In fact, I was thinking a few weeks ago, if I ever preach on heaven again, this is gonna be a sermon series through Revelation chapters 21 and 22. This is amazing. This is unimaginable. It's beyond all scope and imagination. Study it, read it. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. That's gone. So I wanna review. My first sermon in the series has been heaven is for real. The Bible talks about heaven in many places. Isaiah 65, John 14, one through six. Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. Revelation chapters 21 and 22 are all about heaven. It's there. It's in our Bibles. We just gotta open up. We gotta read them. We gotta spend time with the Lord. I don't wanna pound the pulpit with this issue, but I'm going to at least a little bit more. Too often we try to appease this life with the wrong things. I know somebody, I know lots of people, right? Like all of us do. That wasn't meant to be a joke, but it's true. Somebody, not from our church, they're fighting cancer, really fighting cancer. And they're somewhat, some of the family think, source of strength is materialism. Give them hope with material things. My pastoral Opinion, it's no, no. Spend, spend extra time with the Lord. Certainly buy the material things you need. Certainly if you have a hobby, you can spend time in that hobby, but that's not our hope. Right. Prepare to be with the Lord. Right. It's like that clip from John Piper speaking at Passion Conference. I think it was 2005. It's an awesome video I could share with any of you. He shares this illustration from Reader's Digest. It's funny because he's got like 20,000 young adults 20,000 young adults sitting in a wind and a rainstorm outside listening to him speak. John Piper is not trendy at all, but he's deep and challenging. And they all listen to him speak, and he, and he reads this article from Reader's Digest. He says, this is Reader's Digest. I know you don't read it, he says, but I know my generation does. I think he was like 58 there. He's like 75 now. And, and he reads this article about two people in their mid-50s took early retirement, bought a 40-foot schooner or something like that, and went around sailing, collecting shells. Theme of his message, don't waste your life. He says, is that what you want to give the Lord in your dying days? Here it is, Lord, my shell collection. So oftentimes we ask the Lord, the Lord owns us. The Lord owns everything. That's not how we prepare to meet the Lord. It's not saying there's wrong to have a hobby. It's not a hobby to collect shells. There's nothing wrong collecting shells. That's not what he's saying. He contrasted that with the story of two missionaries, female missionaries are church supported. Both died suddenly. One was like 78 years old. Served the Lord as a single woman all her days in Ethiopia or somewhere. 
She partnered with another woman who was also single, never married, retired as a nurse in the United States, and went over in her retirement years to serve the Lord as a missionary. They were driving, and the brakes gave way, and it was a rainstorm, and they died suddenly. And he asked his congregation, is that a tragedy? And they all said, actually, it's cool, because these 20,000 young adults he's speaking to all said, no, it's not a tragedy. They're serving the Lord in their dying days, and the Lord took them, and they were in heaven with the Lord. That's what we need to focus on. Heaven is for real, and you were created for it. Present heaven versus future heaven. We talked about, we talked about how heaven, how, how, about the heaven we enter right away and the heaven and, and, and the difference between the heaven for all eternity. When we enter heaven, we die right now. We don't enter the new heavens and new earth yet, but we do enter a real tangible, physical place called heaven. And we talked about different scriptures and, and one of the fill in the blanks, by the way, I wanted to emphasize that. I have fill in the blanks in your bulletin. The second one is right here. It is encouraging that there is no soul sleep. There's no soul sleep. We go straight to heaven when we die. We can read about this in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus as well as Revelation 6, 9 through 11. Number three, will, will we have homes in heaven? Yes. In John 14, 1 through 6 as well as Isaiah 65, 17 through 23, we read about homes in heaven. But, and this is another blank if you're following along, we read about more than homes in heaven. We read about whole estates in heaven. We read about farms and orchards and land and much more. In Revelation chapters 21 and 22, we read about a city and a garden. Number four, will time exist in heaven? We know that we will not be God in heaven. We're not going to be outside of time. There are many references to time in heaven. Will heaven be boring? Well, listen. If you think heaven will be boring, that means that you believe the Christians you know are boring. (laughs) You're going to be with other believers, and you're going to be with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and he is not boring. We're going to have resurrected bodies. We're going to have purpose. Here's another blank in the insert. We will have jobs and hobbies. Heaven will not be boring. Well, we know everything in heaven. It seems to me that we will not know everything in heaven. Only God is omniscient. We talked about that. It seems evident that we will continue to learn. And for some of you, this might be the most important question. Do dogs and animals go to heaven? <laughs> dogs, yes. Cats, no. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> um, no. <laughs> Only German shepherds. Uh, we do see descriptions of animals in heaven, and Psalm 104.30 even references animals being restored. I don't know if they will be your pet, but they will be animals, and there will be animals in heaven. I want to address, and I'm going to summarize these. These are some of the questions that you submitted to me, and I got six or seven of them. There's going to be more detail in your bulletin, but I'm going to try to just, not your bulletin, the manuscript or on my blog, but I'm just going to try to summarize them. First, the question I receive all the time, is cremation okay? And first, I want to say along those lines, cremation is not a problem for God. The one who created us can and will restore us. Think about all those who died in war, at sea, 
Their bones are gone. God has restored them. Think of all those who have, who have, who have decomposed. You know, they've, they've died 2,000 years ago. You know, if you ever watch videos about the Titanic, what do you see at the bottom of the ocean? You see shoes because the bodies have, have decomposed in the ocean. God can and will restore them. That's not a problem for God. Uh, secondly, the Bible does not speak directly to this. Again, I got more detail here. You will hear different opinions from different Christians, uh, from different theologians and different pastors uh, on cremation. Historically, Christians and Jews have buried their dead. It's been something that has separated us from pagans and pagan communities would burn their dead. However, pagans also had a major pagan ceremony with the burning. And one thing we need to understand, and some may not, is with cremation, we still have a Christian memorial service. We do that. You can even have calling hours with a viewing. We put pictures on the screen. So you can still have a very strong Christian ceremony. So biblically, we cannot make the case against cremation. At least I don't believe so. Uh, You look at it in a tradition way. And that's when they'll say traditionally Christians and Jews have buried their dead. Um, but that's the only thing we can go on. The Bible's very open on that. It seems to me it's kind of one of the, maybe those Romans 14 issues. Romans 14 addresses issues of conscience. And I would, lead you, I would lean on your conscience on that. And I'd be glad to talk more about that with you. Uh, number two, will we have wings in heaven? We will have new resurrected bodies, 1 Corinthians 15 says. And here's a fill in the blank. Uh, Jesus is not described with wings. So I believe uh, quite adamantly that we will not have wings in heaven. Now, I do like to believe that we can fly in heaven. But if that's the case, it's just thinking of a happy thought or something. Which (laughs) Heaven's going to be all happy thoughts, right? I don't think we're going to have wings in heaven. Uh, Jesus said that in heaven we will be like the angels and not marrying or being given in marriage. That doesn't mean be like the angels in form. He's just making an illustration right there. We are not, I, we're not going to become angels. We're not going to have wings. I get kind of frustrated when I see all these thoughts or pictures or hallmark stuff with Christians with wings in heaven. We don't have wings. In fact, we're going to be higher than the angels in heaven in status. All right. There will be a new heaven and new earth, right? This is a question. Why both? If the new earth will be so amazing, why does there need to be a heaven and vice versa? And my simple answer is that the new heaven and new earth are actually combined in Revelation 21 and 22. They're combined. We see this in the passage I read a bit ago. The new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven. And I actually think that heaven is the dimension that the new earth is in. It's like the dimensions in a maybe kind of special science way are joined together. They're joined together. Um, Though also, when we talk about the new heaven and new earth, we're also dealing with terms of time. One reason they have to be joined together is because right now, we're still in this already but not yet. We're in a time period where Jesus has saved us, but we're not to the end yet. So the new heaven and new earth is a total restoral, the total restoration, the total renewal, the total judgment when sin is taken away and this time period is gone. The reason you have, you have the two separate is because the current heaven is for this time period. It's where we go while, while God is still waiting to bring judgment. And why is God waiting? Second Peter 3.89 tells us he's waiting for more to be saved. 2 Peter 3, 8, 9 says he desires none to perish, but all to come to repentance. That's why he's waiting. 
And so at the end, when God brings judgment, that's when we have the new heaven, new earth. And that's, it's really combining the current with the new. I hope that helps a little bit. Um, I can talk more with individuals if you have more questions about that. Uh, number four, will we move about, this is interesting, will we move about in the temporary heaven and how? Where there'll be certain locations based on your life on earth. And this is a more difficult question to answer. And I cannot answer it for sure, but based on Revelation 6, 9 through 11 and Luke 16, 19 through 31. So in Revelation 6, 9 through 11, we see martyred saints during the tribulation period. That means it's the current heaven. It's not the new Jerusalem yet. And we see them and they have white robes and they have voices, they have bodies and, and, and they're expressing things. So it does seem like there can be and will be movement. If you see uh, Luke 16, 19 through 31, it's a parable that Jesus told, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And it is a parable, but I don't think Jesus would lead us astray. But in that parable, they have physical forms. They can talk, they can recognize each other. Different thing like, things like that. This seems to imply movement. And uh, so I think there will be movement in the, in the current heaven. I think that's the case. I cannot answer about locations. Will you have certain locations based on your life on earth? I, I don't know, but I don't think, I'm adamantly against this. I don't think you will have locations to be near your family or friends and, and oversee them or be a ghost to them or anything like that. I don't think that's the case. Uh, heaven is a total different dimension and I think God may give glimpses of what's going on in the life of earth. I can't roll that out because we see that in Revelation 6, 9 through 11, but there will be no communication. Um, here's another one. This one's uh, challenging. Well, we have free will in heaven. Can we sin? Next question. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, well, we have free will in heaven. Can we sin? I got a lot about that, and you can read it in the notes if you pick up the manuscript. If you don't pick it up, you can pick it up on your way out or, or go to my blog. Um, and, and here's a fill in the blank if you're following the blanks. Can we sin and get kicked out of heaven? No. No. There's a lot of discussion and disagreements and theological disputes about free will. Jonathan Edwards wrote about it in the 1700s. Martin Luther wrote about it during the Reformation. One of them wrote the bondage of the will. Uh, most of the time, our free will is not used for good, but for bad. And the main point here is, once we get to heaven, we are totally and completely perfected spiritually. We are totally, we would call it, um, glorified. Romans 8 says glorified. So you are so amazingly indwelt by the Holy Spirit. The curse is reversed and you will not want to sin. It's not that you won't sin because you can't. It's you won't sin because you won't want to sin because you're totally and completely, we would call it entirely sanctified. You are totally set apart for God's glory. So no, you will not sin. Yes, you will have free will, but guess what? Your free will, be, will, your free will, will totally be used for good. It's gonna to be totally used for God's purposes because the Holy Spirit's work in your life. Okay, we will be like him. Also, 1 John 3, 2 says about that. Okay, next one. If we have a home prepared for us in heaven, is it for me only or for my spouse as well? It would seem adult children would have their own, but what about young children? How would that, how would that be handled? Maybe there will be no age differences. It will be interesting to see how God does this with our new spiritual bodies. It also begs the question, do we retain the same bond of marriage? 
<clears throat> Do we retain the same bond of marriage and family relationships in heaven? In heaven? Thanks for considering. It seems that we do have homes in heaven. John 14, one through six talks about it. Um, and it seems like they're more like apartments, lavish apartments. It seems that they will be homes for us because it seems that we will not be married in heaven based off Matthew twenty two thirty. But I think this question was more asking, what about the marriage relationships we had on earth? Maybe we're not getting married more in heaven, but will that relationship remain? And if that relationship remains, will our homes be with them? And that leaves a lot more to think about. But I wonder if, and I think this is a blank if you're following those along, I wonder if in heaven our community will be so strong that we will all be like family. Our community will be so strong, so close, so intimate. Most men don't like that word, but forgive me, men. So intimate that we will all be close in close community. We're all totally restored. We're all totally perfected in a spiritual way. The things that divide us now, they're not going to divide us then. We'll all be in community. In reality, in heaven, we will all be married to Jesus. He's the groom. We are the bride. Now, in the book, The Case for Heaven by Lee Strobel, he interviews Dr. Scott McKnight, who makes a case that we will stay married in heaven. And that's possible. I can't roll that out. Um, But I don't think his case is that strong. Um, Now, what about parents with children. Now, Randy Alcorn was in an interview with Sean McDowell a few weeks ago. It was a 45-minute interview, really insightful, about heaven. He wrote this amazingly big book on heaven, and he posed this idea. I think it's a neat idea. What if, for those who have lost children at a young age, when they go to heaven, God gives them the opportunity to raise them in heaven? Wouldn't that be just like the goodness of God? possible. There's a lot we cannot answer about that. But one thing I do want to reassure everyone about is I strongly believe that children that die, babies that die, go straight to be with the Lord in heaven. Now, what age they are in heaven? That was another question here. We can't, we can't totally answer that. Some people think maybe we're going to be 33 because Jesus was approximately 33 years old. I don't know. Um, we can't totally answer that, that one. And last question for today. And again, there's a little bit more detail. I'm skipping over some stuff. So if you pick up my manuscript, you got a little more detail there. And if any of these questions is really bothering you, I would love to talk with you, sit down about them. Suicide. Biblically, is heaven possible for the person who commits suicide? And it depends if they knew Jesus. If the person was a true believer in Jesus, I believe they are still saved. Suicide is a sin. It is a sin of murder, and it might be a a number of other sins. However, we are saved by grace and not by works. We are saved by grace and not by works. And this is the main thought dealing with suicide. We, We had this discussion in Sunday school. It was the second message in my series, Ask Pastor Steve. And, uh, got into some lively conversation about this. Generally speaking, though, with suicide, we're talking about a person who has faced such depression, they are brought to a point in which they are not making their own rational decisions. They're in such a depressed state 
that they may not be making their own rational decisions. So I believe if they are in Christ, God understands those, that darkness that might be brought on. Now, it may not be all cases. I can't answer that exhaustively. Um, but, so I don't, but we don't lose our salvation by a work because we're saved by grace. Otherwise, and this is actually an early church heresy, you get to the point where if you sin before you die, you're gonna go to hell. Well, that leaves a lot to think about. And so the question becomes, at what point, at what point of sins does the person lose their salvation? And that's a broader conversation for those in ivory towers, I guess, on university campuses. But for suicide, generally, it's a lot, there, there can be really intense depression with it and a lot of darkness. And they're not making that decision in a rational way. That's at least my belief on that. I want to talk more about imagination. Imagining heaven. How many of us think about opening up our imagination and letting the Holy Spirit guide us with imagination? There is nothing wrong with letting our imagination, guided by the Holy Spirit, guided by the scriptures, think about heaven. There's nothing wrong with that. There's everything right about that. It's good to meditate on the things of God, which includes heaven. In chapter two of Randy Alcorn's book titled Heaven, he writes about imagination. We must be careful of thinking that heaven will be whatever you imagine it to be, but we can use our imagination. God loves us and does want to lavish blessings upon us in all of eternity, okay? So you don't let your imagination go to whatever it goes to be. You guide it by the scriptures. God loves us and does want to lavish blessings upon us for all eternity. Randy Alcorn writes, we cannot anticipate or desire but we cannot imagine. That's why I believe God has given us glimpses of heaven in the Bible. To fire up our imagination and kindle a desire for heaven in our hearts. And that's why Satan will always discourage our imagination or misdirect it to ethereal notions that violate scripture. As long as the resurrected universe remains either undesirable or unimaginable, Satan succeeds in sabotaging our love for heaven. You hear that? As long as the resurrected universe remains either undesirable or unimaginable, Satan succeeds in sabotaging our love for heaven. That's why I've given this series, this idea of desiring heaven, desiring the things of God. As C.S. Lewis said, while reason is a natural organ of truth, imagination is the organ of meaning. In the words of Francis Schaeffer, who was a Christian philosopher, the Christian is the really free man. He is free to have imagination. This too is our heritage. The Christian is the one whose imagination should fly beyond the stars. Schaeffer always started, get this, started with God's revealed truth. But he exhorted us to let that truth fuel our imagination. Imagination should not fly away from the truth, but fly upon the truth. Any of you ever read the Chronicles of Narnia? C.S. Lewis allowed his imagination, based on God's revealed truth, to write a marvelous allegory that points to the gospel. The Hobbit 
Lord of the Rings, even a deeper way of myth, allowed imagination to point to the gospel. Randy Alcorn continues, imagination should not fly away from the truth, but fly upon the truth. If you're a Christian suffering with great pains and losses, Jesus says, be of good cheer. John 16, the new house is nearly ready for you. Moving day is coming. The dark winter is about to be magically transformed into spring. One day, soon, you will be home for the first time. Until then, I encourage you to meditate on the Bible's truths about heaven. May your imagination soar and your heart rejoice. And I hope you have a better picture of heaven. However, I need to ask as always, are you confident that you'll be there? I think too often we take our eternal life with Jesus for granted. 2 Corinthians 13, 5, Paul writes, inspired by the Holy Spirit, examine yourself to make sure you're in the faith unless you fail the test. For a congregation like this, most of you, if not all of you, have been in church or churches for many, many years. Many of you longer than I've been alive. And you might think, what? Examine myself? What, what do you mean? Does sin bother you? Do the things that you say or think that are wrong bother you? If we have the fruit of repentance, that's good. If we aren't, don't care, that's not a good thing. Are we pursuing humility? Paul wrote a lot about humility. Or do we always get defensive, prideful, arrogant? Are we pursuing the things of Jesus? Do we love the things he loves and abhor the things he abhors? I'm asking, do we not only believe the gospel, but are we pursuing the things of Jesus? Are we pursuing the things of Jesus? And is part of that pursuit the gospel? Do we care about the good news of Jesus Christ and other people know him? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray, Lord God, for the congregation in which you've given me stewardship as pastor, responsibility as, a, as to serve as a pastor. And, and that's quite a privilege, and I thank you. But it's also, Lord God, a, quite a responsibility. And my job to them is to declare the truth. The truth about heaven, how exciting and how awesome that is. But for those that do not know you, it should be with fear and trembling. Lord Jesus, if there's anyone here who's using you, thinking they have eternal life in you because they said a prayer at one point, but they're really not loving the things you love, Maybe certain things when it agrees with what they want, but not all things. I pray for the Holy Spirit to convict them. They would repent and turn to you. We're never promised tomorrow. For anyone listening who maybe they've never turned their life over to you for the first time, may today be the day to confess they're a sinner in need of a Savior. Believe in you as the one and only Savior. Trust in you and commit to you. Lord Jesus, our sin is more dangerous than any sickness or illness. I pray that you would place a conviction on me and everyone here to pray against sin more than we pray against sickness.
and pray that by your grace and the Holy Spirit empowering upon us, you will keep us from sin and convict us of our sins so that we repent and motivate us to share the gospel. And I pray, Lord God, that you give us the hope, the hope that you offer in the Holy Scriptures about our life in you now and our eternal life in you later. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. As always, the altars are opened. If God has laid anything in your heart and you want to pray uh, about anything, it could be something you're going through, something a family member is going through, we would love to pray with you. Give us the privilege of praying with you.